0: Now, go ahead and get started. And as Terry said, tonight I'm going to be talking about uh, the triple gem uh, in Buddhism, three jewels, also called the refuges. And um, I really love thinking of these as refuges. I mean, who doesn't need a refuge at times, at any time, and especially there, there's a lot a lot going on in the world these days and to have a refuge that we can trust that really is a refuge I think about the word refuge as like a, a place that we can go that's uh, that's safe that's trusted that um, we can feel a sense of, of peace and um, be protected in some way all of these are you know, common understandings of what a refuge is, and and really, I I see these very much as um, as what the three jewels are, and the three jewels being the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and I'll, I'll talk about each one of these in a few minutes. Um, so the the triple gem is found in all all the lineages of Buddhism. They're a little bit different in each lineage, but they are really one of the the cornerstones of Buddhism and um, how how we practice as Buddhists. And um and you know these can be a, a comfort to us in life. Also the the triple gem is um you know, one of the places in Buddhism where we can feel a sense of devotion there, you know, the different lineages have different amounts of devotion In Theravadan Buddhism. We don't have a whole lot of that, but there is a way that um, we do in Theravadan Buddhism uh, chant. The, the refuges, a lot of retreats and all, all the retreats I do, at least on the first night and like I just taught a two week retreat and we chanted, we did, um, chanted the refuges as well as the precepts every morning. And those chants are, have been sung by Buddhists for millennia, you know, and it's one of the things that connects us as Buddhists is taking refuge. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And it's, to me, there's a way that I, I feel a certain kind of devotion and singing these chants that Buddhists all over the world, you know, millions of Buddhists have been singing for 2600 years, just as we sit down and we, we chant these, um a lot of times at, you know, at retreats or other events, um, as part of our, a sense of devotion and connection to this long, long history of practitioners who have found Buddhism to be a refuge. And this is part of why it's, you know, it's lasted so long is that the, these are refuges that we can trust. And, um, when we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, this is also a devotion to our own unfoldment, that we're kind of like making a commitment to not take refuge in um, in the ego self in our conditioned mind or in the the um, in what will come and go, what is arises and passes that, yes. We're in the human form and in the physical realm things do arise and pass away, but there is something of what we are that we can know directly for ourselves that that is um, that doesn't ar- doesn't arise and pass away that is uh, a permanent refuge. And so we're orienting towards that when we are taking refuge in the triple gem so um I in thinking about talking about this, I wanted to really go a little deeper with the refuges and in um, Tibetan Buddhism, sometimes they talk about things as having an outer an inner and a secret um Understanding. And so I thought that that would be an, uh, a, a good way to orient to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So this isn't, what I'm going to talk about isn't necessarily a way that these are talked about in Tibetan Buddhism, but they are, these are, I'm going to talk about these three ways of, of understanding each aspect of the triple gem so that we can kind of you know feel each one at all three levels and and all three really are i think valuable and valid and worth um worth feeling into and to how we understand the triple gem and also to say that the the triple gem is something that um because it's something we chant and it is such a, a a known part of Buddhism, it's it's an easy place to kind of go unconscious, you know. That yeah, there's the triple jambal. You know, let's move on to the juicy stuff here. But um, I think there's a way we can find a certain depth in this that really can help us land. In the reality that these are refuges that can be available to us at any time when when life gets difficult or we um, feel like the material world isn't really providing a refuge, which, you know, in a lot of ways, it doesn't because we are going to all face sickness, old age and death, you know, and so the physical world isn't a permanent refuge for anyone. So is there a refuge Beyond that. And, uh, you know, really, I love that you're going to be doing a practice period on this because it it gives an opportunity to really go more deeply into this very foundational and um, comforting, I think, aspect of Buddhism that we can often it can turn into something that is rote and we can miss the opportunity to really Feel into this at a deeper level and have it um, have it inform our practice in a way that we can you know always be appreciating a little bit more about how each of these is a refuge, so starting then with the Buddha and um, and the outer so the outer aspect of the Buddha as a refuge is really looking at um the historical person of the buddha you know our teacher somebody that um that we respect and admire somebody who lived a life just the way that we are living a life who was a regular person you know he isn't thought of to be a god or a you know i mean he's extremely admirable and attained a lot more than any any of us will in our lifetimes, but he was a person and that's important because that means that um you know we have the potential that that he had and this is what he tells us is that see for yourself what he was talking about, to not take his word for it, but to do the practices and see for yourself what he discovered, what he was taught, and then what he discovered on his own. And he gave us this path. So you know, to have a certain kind of, um, again, devotion to him for those people who feel Devotional, not not everyone does, but if a person feels a sense of devotion, we can certainly have a lot of gratitude and respect and and admiration for him as a person that we want to see as a role model that we can see as a role model, because, um, you know, we're kind of following in his footsteps in our practice. So then the inner, what does this mean for for us in, in our inner sense of the Buddha as a role model, well, we can see that we can follow the path that he did, that, that he is a role model for us and, and that he you know, within Buddhism is seen as the embodiment of a full human, a human who's realized their full potential and has been able to go beyond the, the suffering and limitations of the human condition, and that we can follow this path too. That that we have, um, we have potential, and he was pointing us in this direction. That he led the way. And so can we feel our, our own sense of, of following in his footsteps in a way that, um, he's given us all these wonderful teaching that can really last a lifetime and we can feel our own sense of aspiration to follow in his footsteps. And then the secret aspect of the Buddha as a refuge, really has to do with our own Buddha nature. And uh, the idea of Buddha nature isn't really in Theravada Buddhism, but it is in Mahayana Buddhism that Zen is part of and Tibetan Buddhism. It's very, very integral to those lineages. And um, this is pointing to the idea that we all have the capacity for, what the Buddha realized that we have Buddha nature inherent, that every human, no matter how good or how bad that human is, they have Buddha nature. It is our birthright as humans that we all have this. And it's kind of the opposite of original sin that many of us in Western traditions were raised with that were basically born with imperfection. And the uh, the idea of having inherent Buddha nature is that we already have the seed of a Buddha within us. And really, it's just the veils of, of delusion that keep us from realizing that and that much of the path is about seeing through those veils to recognize what is already there as our inherent Buddha nature. And in Zen, you you will sometimes see that Zen practitioners, when they come up to their Zafu or their chair, when they're about to meditate, they will bow to their cushion. And what they're doing is they're bowing to their own Buddha nature before they sit down. So it's like a way of really recognizing what they're bowing to isn't about someone else. It's about their own Buddha nature that is here right now. That our deeper nature, the ground that we are, is here right now. We don't have to go out and get it. It's already there. It's just not realized fully. Or maybe not realized at all, but that within Buddhism we can, uh, we have this teaching that our Buddha nature is already there. So this is the secret aspect of the Buddha nature, that, you know, we can see it as about the Buddha, we can see it about as about our following in his footsteps, or we can see that we are all Buddhas already, and it's a matter of realizing that. So then with the Dharma as the next refuge, the Dharma as the outer understanding refers to the teachings, the teachings of the Buddha, the path we follow, you know, the four noble truths about reality, and then the Noble Eightfold Path that helps us realize the four noble truths. So all of the many, many teachings of Buddhism are the outer dharma. So this can be a refuge in the fact that we can trust these teachings we can trust them. These aren't just something that somebody, you know, four years ago made up. These are things that have stood the test of time that have been around 2600 years and, and, um, people practiced the way we do now, just the way they did in the day of the Buddha and that they've endured. They've endured because they, they work and they're valuable and, um, that we can, we can have these as a refuge because we can trust them. We can trust the teachings. So that's the outer level of Dharma. Then the inner level of Dharma is, um, is the truth that we are experiencing right now. So any really, um, in my opinion, valid meditation practice is bringing us in touch with the present moment. So as we're doing these practices that are all designed in some way to bring us into the present moment, we can be with the truth of reality. And, and um, in Theravadan Buddhism, this really points to what's known as the three characteristics or the three marks of existence, that in through the practices, if we stay with them to their deepest potential, They will um, take us to have direct experience of the three characteristics of existence, which are dukkha, anicca, and anatta. So suffering or unsatisfactoriness, impermanence, and no self. And that um, this is this is a certain kind of truth of dharma. The word dharma also meaning truth, a truth that we can be in touch with. In Vipassana, the word Vipassana means insight. So the truth of these insights that we can see, we can also be in touch with psychological insights in the practice, things seeing the deeper truth of reality that about ourselves, about our own patterning, our own, you know, personality patterning, and how that is maybe, you know, part of what veils our deeper nature and to be able to see these truths in the practice, this is another understanding of dharma, is, is truth. And then the secret aspect of dharma as a refuge is actually seeing reality from the view of awakening. So in Tibetan Buddhism, this is known as the view and in it's usually the first thing that's taught on any Tibetan Buddhist retreat. They start, instead of ending, like working your way up to the view of reality from the enlightened state, they start with it so that even if we're practicing, like there's a me that's practicing this meditation, you know, the, the way we normally orient to meditation is like that, that really the deeper reality is that, that the me is a is a psychological construct. And that's part of what we see through in Buddhism is a deeper reality. So the view of reality um, as seen from the awakened state is uh, the really the deepest dharma or truth that one can be in touch with is that view of reality that um, is free, is liberated. And many people on the path have had tastes of this, you know, tastes of, of something very profound, maybe tastes of, of non-duality tastes of awakening tastes where there was freedom that even though it maybe was only a second long, it could have been the most, you know, profound moment of a person's life. That, you know, there was that moment where we are outside of the ego self and that can be very motivating, inspiring and can bring people to practice. So that's the, the secret truth, secret dharma that can really be our ultimate refuge. And that's really what awakening is all about is moving, moving closer and closer, having more contact. With our deeper nature, that is the ultimate refuge, because when we have that, we don't have to feel um, we can have that sense of the peace that passes all understanding, because when touch with something that isn't subject to um, causes and conditions, something that's beyond that, and that is really, uh, really the ultimate refuge. So then going on to Sangha as a refuge and Sangha in the outer form, uh, originally the, the word Sangha, um, was referring to the community of awakened beings, the noble ones. It's often referred to in, in Theravadan Buddhism and these beings who through the ages, um, carried the teachings and passed them on. And also who did these practices, you know, there's, there's tens of thousands probably of awakened beings. I'm kind of making that number up because we don't know what it is, but let's just assume it's a lot, a lot of beings over 2600 years who are in that Sangha, um, who have attained some stage of freedom and, um, and they did it. And so, so we can also, Have that possibility of, um, of becoming part of that Sangha. And also we can feel a lot of gratitude to that Sangha for carrying the teachings and for their own work that they did on themselves so that, um, this could be passed down through the generations. People who are, you know, get dedicated their whole lives to the Dharma. And uh, we are benefiting from that today. So at the inner level, Sangha um, can be really our uh, our personal Sangha of like-minded people. And I'm really seeing, you know, I've been teaching in-person retreats now. I was Probably one of the first teachers in our, in our, you know, insight lineage to actually teach in-person retreats during the pandemic. And I think I've probably taught about, I don't know, seven or eight retreats, 10 maybe now in person and people, I didn't really get it in, you know, at the first, until this first retreat when people were in person again in a sangha of like-minded people for many, many days in a row in silence. And people really are appreciating being in person with like-minded people in a way that I don't think we all appreciated before the pandemic. You know, I think we, I'll say for myself, I think I took for granted a lot of that and just being in a, in a room where people get it, where people value and appreciate the same things that, that you know, you do and they, they know why somebody would meditate and spend time doing these things and coming to Dharma talks. And, you know, a lot of times we don't have necessarily family members or, or close loved ones who understand and that's fine. That's, that's okay. But, you know, having that opportunity to be around like-minded friends, Dharma friends, you know, having, um, having those Dharma friends and being able to be in contact with people who understand and have the same, you know, aspirations is really so good for the heart. And um, we can also see this inner sangha as the larger community of Dharma practitioners all over the world that are, you know, sitting in front of Zoom screens, listening to Dharma talks right now, even though we won't know them, there is something to me that's really comforting to know, you know, I just came from Croatia, and that there are people in Croatia and all the different countries that people came from to travel to Croatia, all of us braving these international airports and stuff in the middle of wars and pandemics, you know, people in Russia, people in Ukraine, people in Asia and South America and, you know, all these different countries who are um, in the larger community of Buddhist practitioners, that there can be something comforting in knowing that this has been true for 2,600 years and that uh, that we, even if we won't meet, you know, the vast majority of those people that there is something comforting knowing that right now there are groups all over the world who are sitting listening to Dharma talks or at retreats or meditating, using their apps on their phones, meditating, you know, all of these things. Um, sometimes they go on to something like Insight Timer. And I just love knowing that there's these thousands of people sitting on Insight Timer all over the world with me, you know, in Israel and and in Guatemala and all these places, meditating just like I am. So there, there can be something really, um, really inspiring and, uh, I don't know, communal, even if we don't know those people, but they're, they're doing the same kinds of practices that we are. And then the secret aspect of Sangha is, um, is, again it's it's can be the most profound it's the deepest and this is really the fact of non separation some people might call it unity um, but the fact of non separation or of emptiness you know these are all different ways of knowing this deeper truth that um, uh, and I'll just to my little demonstration that I often do with my hand where, you know, the perspective before awakening is is this. And so I it, this isn't a trick question. I won't ask since you're all on mute, but like, what do you see here? Well, you see four fingers with a piece of paper, you know. So yes, this is how we normally see reality that we're all separate individuals doing our own thing. But then with awakening, this is the perspective. And you know, we're seeing the reality from down here, where yes, there is a separate finger. It doesn't negate the fact that there are bodies that are separate and there are individual consciousnesses, but at a more fundamental what we level, what we can experience through practice is that. There's something deeper than that that is shared among all humans, whether we experience that as emptiness or unity or non-separation, that there is something more fundamental than these bodies or these personalities that we can know through our own practice. And that at that level, that we all have that. And there isn't separation at that level. And this is really the ultimate meaning of Sangha, is that we can know that for ourselves. We can be in touch with that impersonal aspect that is um, that transcends our individual consciousness or this individual life, if you believe in rebirth. You know, there's a way that we can actually be in touch with that aspect of what we are. That isn't subject to conditions and that isn't the personality, that isn't the me. And it at that level, there is no separation. And so that's really the ultimate meaning of Sangha is that when we are, um, when we are touched into that, there really is a sense of, uh, of at a level, at a more foundational level that nothing is separate. And that can be experienced as unity. That's how the Christian traditions orient towards that. But in Buddhism, we're more about emptiness. But even within the emptiness, there is, that is shared. That is something that we all emanate from. Everything emanates from this, this mystery of the unconditioned the deathless is how it's often talked about as the deathless or the unconditioned, the absolute. These are all words that are used to um, point to this mystery that is really at our deepest core. And that is the ultimate saga. So I think, I think I'm going to stop there and, um, and see if there are any, Comments or questions. Okay, so since there aren't any comments or questions, I think what we'll do is give you a chance to go into um, short breakouts where you can just, you know, talk about what this means to you. What what has the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha meant to you? Over your practice, you know, is there anything that stands out to you or anything that I talked about that you might want to, um, you know, explore a little further with some of your Dharma friends who are here? And this is a great opportunity to have a little Sangha time as well. Okay, so we have a few minutes left. Any any questions or comments or anything that you discovered in talking with others about? The triple gem about the refuges. Yeah, I just want this whole discussion and your talk just reminded me of what a precious thing it is to have each other in the sangha, and even you know, in a breakout room for a short time in a Zoom is a is a is a treasure. The light minded people. And uh, and thinking that there's people all over the world that have each other, and there's a way that we have each other now is just personally thrilling. Thank you. Hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, it really is. It's it's uh, it it gives me a lot of hope for the world. Actually, that there are people all over who are working on themselves and practicing, and and we may not be the majority, but Who knows where things could go? Yeah, thank you. Mary. There we go. We had a lovely little segue. I think Earth Day is tomorrow. And so we were talking about the four great elements and how they're all inside and outside and how they really connect us, not only with ourself and with each other, but with everything. And that there's really kind of no difference. And that was just very lovely. It sort of brought the conversation to what's about to happen tomorrow and ongoing in terms of climate initiatives. So anyhow, I appreciated that little segue, which took me by surprise, but I think we had a lot of depth with with it, so it was lovely. Mm, yeah, that sounds beautiful. Are you are you talking about the four elements: earth, water, fire, and air? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a practice in Buddhism. I should I should do a talk sometime on the four elements. That might be really interesting. Thank you for um for triggering that for me because it's not taught much, and I I've done that practice to a certain level and it is it, it, it really um it shows it's another way of pointing to the unity we have with all of earth with all the earth itself and all beings on earth all physical beings that were all made up of these elements and there's that's another way of really being in contact with the unity yeah thank you for sharing that mary yeah, I also just want to comment that, um, thinking of the elements and, uh, it, it also helps me have a perspective of Anatta that, you know, we're just all made up of these elements and they change and, you know, everything is really right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah the four elements practice when it's really done, you know, to a depth that it, it can put us into direct perception of of the Calapas, which, you know, I have actually seen the Calapas and they're subatomic particles. So, you know, when we're in touch with that, it's, it's one thing to know that through science, scientists in a microscope can see Calapas. But when we actually are in touch with the fact that, yeah, there's just these particles blinking in and out of existence, you know, there's a lot of impermanence there and it's hard to see, even our our body or other things the same way when we really are in touch with that level of you know um detail that level of uh, that minute level of what physical existence really is and you know the quantum physicists now tell us which i always point to dark matter that at some point they're going to they they're now thinking they might know what dark matter is but i think it might be the absolute but anyway, the quantum physicists know that even the subatomic particles are mostly space. You know, I mean, we think everything's so solid. But really, if you look at it scientifically, most of everything, it's like 99% of everything is space. The particles are a very small percentage. So there's the emptiness again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you all for being here. And um, next month I'll yeah. I'll be doing something similar with the um with the precepts, which is another really fundamental part of Buddhism that we can, you know, can kind of get wrote. But it has they have an, an outer inner and secret aspect as well that can give us, you know, some different ways of orienting to the precepts and what they can mean in our in our life as as lay people. Well be well and I will see you next month. Good night. You're welcome to unmute and say goodbye to everyone as part of your Sangha. <laughs> bye, bye. bye bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you. just done. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit Dharma